VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. And oh my, the news just never stops, does it? Always something uh, for us to discuss and to uh, chew on and to spit back out again, so to speak. Well, we're going to start the show, of course, with this uh, terrible tragedy unfolding in Fleur de Lis. The search, of course, continues for a fourth man, and they're going to try to exhaust every um, opportunity there to make sure that, you know, uh, leave no stone unturned, so to speak. Uh, one fatality, as we all know, is way too many. And as the FFAW's Greg Pretty reiterated uh, just yesterday, fishing is the most dangerous profession in the world. We know too well the truth in that statement. Uh, so if anyone has any thoughts on uh, what's happened there, if you want to pass your condolences on uh, to the two men who are deceased and uh, your thoughts and prayers for the man who is uh, still missing and of course the man who has survived uh, because it's uh, one thing to survive it's another thing to carry that around with you so um, we uh, hope that he's getting all the support uh, that he needs of course uh, Fleur de Lis incredibly close-knit community everybody's like family there I know they had the um, town hall open yesterday for people to drop in and just to be with each other and um, you know offer that support to each other so uh, I will uh, expect that those uh, types of efforts will continue over the coming days and of course it's been a hard time for Fleur de Lis already they had uh, three uh, people in the community pass away uh, in recent days uh, you know aside from all of this so it's been a tough time for those people give a thought to the people of Fleur de Lis and, of course, nearby Coachman's Cove. We can't forget that as well. Well, I see now that uh, the uh, Labour Minister, Provincial Labour Minister Bernard Davis, has written his federal counterpart, Randy Boissonneau, to ask that uh, the uh, federal government reconsider changes to the qualifying formula that's going to have a dramatic impact on people in this province, particularly in rural Newfoundland and Labrador. And, of course, these changes were made because unemployment, uh, the unemployment levels went down in St. John's. But that doesn't mean to say that people who work seasonal jobs, and we have many people involved in seasonal industries here in Newfoundland and Labrador, some of the main uh, economic drivers in this province, and that includes the fishery, of course, tourism, hospitality, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, You know, uh, jobs that you can only pursue uh, during certain seasons of the year and for the remainder of the year you have to rely on something to keep you going and in many cases people qualify for their EI and draw their EI until the seasons uh, pick up again and in the fishing industry there's little you can do you have to wait for the season to open (laughs) 
right? Uh, so in this case, uh, when these changes were made in their complicated mathematical formulas, as you can appreciate, but that means that some people in the fishery, and it's been a rough year for people in the fishery this year, especially uh, harvesters and plant workers with that uh, prolonged delay in the start of the crab fishery this year, for one reason or another. Um, and so people are suddenly finding out, wait a minute, I'm going to be short on my benefits. All the crab from this season has been processed. It's done. <laughs> so uh, you're not going to get any more hours there. Uh, and all of a sudden you're going to be penalized for that. Uh, because unemployment ostensibly went down in the metro region. So there's a lot of people who say, you know, we have to make changes to the way that these formulas are calculated. We have to make changes to um, uh, reflect the realities of urban versus rural in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, and those kinds of things. So if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. I know one thing. Our newsroom phones have been uh, pretty busy of late as uh, this reality starts to sink in and people start to realize, wait a minute, what does this mean for me? What does, how does this affect me? Um, are you telling me that I'm not going to have any income for weeks in the coming year? Weeks? Uh, anyway, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. And we're trying to get a hold of the minister as well to see uh, what he has to say about that. Because, as I said, he did write to his federal counterpart to, uh, to make that uh, plea that changes be made. And I know a number of groups, including the FFAW and the Federation of Labor and others, have all, already chimed in on this uh, as it affects people here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, the province's seniors advocate would like to see the province adopt more strategies to keep people in healthy and well as they age. Susan Walsh last week released a progress report on recommendations made by her office to government, and this was a story we ran in VOCM News earlier in the week. While most of the 25 recommendations made are either partially or fully implemented, two remain outstanding with no progress to date. What are they? Well, one is offering the shingles vaccine free of charge to low-income seniors and others with compromised immune systems. And what a difference that will make, because if you've ever had chickenpox in your life, that virus is floating around in your system and can reemerge in later years as the shingles. And uh, I've never had shingles, thankfully, but I'm told it is miserable. And you often hear people say that, uh, you know, they have shingles in their back or they have shingles on their side or those kinds of things where it's, it's the nerve endings, you know, it's nerves. Uh, so the pain is excruciating. And those are the ones that you often hear about. But you can get shingles in your eye. If you get shingles in your eye, it can affect your vision permanently. So uh, Susan Walsh and her office, the Seniors Advocates Office, um, recommending that government uh, offer shingles vaccines free of charge to low-income seniors. I mean, they're available. They're widely available. They're, they, I think they suggest that people, anyone 50 and older, get the shingles vaccine. Um, so you would go into your local pharmacist or you might be able to request it from your doctor. I have to, I stand corrected on that, but you can certainly get it at your local pharmacy. Uh, but there's a cost involved. 
So she wants to see that uh, cost waived for low-income seniors and others with compromised immune systems because uh, shingles uh, does rear its head when uh, your immune system is slightly weakened. So uh, I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. The other recommendation that she made back in or her office made back in 2019 before COVID is including dental, hearing and vision care as part of overall health care and chronic disease strategies, particularly as it relates to seniors. I don't know about you, but if you have seniors in your life, no doubt at some point you've heard them say, oh my, I need a new pair of glasses. I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. Uh, Oh my, I need a new set of dentures. I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. Oh my, I need a new hearing aid to keep me uh, engaged and part of... Uh, you know, being able to communicate with people, I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. And it it formed the question uh, of the day on uh, VOCM.com, basically saying, um, should government do more to allow seniors greater affordable access to important things like glasses, dental care, and hearing aids? An overwhelming 93% of those who responded say yes. What a difference that would make. And uh, keeping seniors, we talk a lot about, you know, aging in place, keeping seniors uh, independent, keeping people living in their homes, keeping people engaged and able to get around and do things. Uh, Because all of those things, hearing, dental, and um, uh, vision care, um, that's your independence, isn't it? So I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. I know our morning show already started to get a a flood of calls on that particular issue. What's your situation? Have you had trouble uh, paying or um, with the cost of uh, any of the above, vision, uh, dental, or hearing care? that is uh, important to your life, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. By all means, do give us a call. And what's government's role there? I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Well, um, I see Francois Legault has started something. (laughs) The uh, Premier of Quebec has tweeted out that he has met with the president of Hydro-Quebec, Michael Sebia, and as uh, the Premier says, uh, they discuss major projects in Quebec on hydroelectricity and wind power and the ongoing uh, negotiations with Newfoundland and Labrador. The translation says, for the raising of Churchill Falls, that's a poor translation, it should read enhancement of Churchill Falls and construction of Gull Island. And I know Gull Island has been something that we've been talking about for some time now. My gosh, it goes back a couple of decades. Brian Medora will be able to tell you, I always check him him on the dates of these things. but nothing really moving forward in an appreciable way. Not that we're aware of anyway. Um, so we're hoping that the minister can help to shed some light on that, Minister Parsons, uh, to see where that stands. If the Premier of Quebec is tweeting out about it, there must be some kind of movement in that vein. And, um, uh, of course, uh, one of the groups that's watching this very closely with a great deal of interest, of course, would be the Innu Nation. 
on whose lands uh, the Gull Island area would lie. So uh, I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. But it's just one of a number of things that are going on that uh, the opposition uh, leader, David Brazel, says requires greater transparency. Uh, He's demanding answers following a news report in The Independent indicating that the province is planning a hydrogen pipeline through Labrador. It was something that was discussed at this green energy conference over uh, in uh, Europe recently. Um, The Independent reporting that documents from the Department of Industry, Energy and Technology reveal plans for a hydrogen pipeline stretching from Churchill Falls all the way to the island and spanning the Inner Nation's land claim. Opposition leader David Brazel says those plans were not part of the province's renewable energy plan. He wants answers from government. He says the big question here is about openness and transparency. So we're trying to get uh, information from the minister's office on these two major uh, developments that are going to uh, ostensibly have a dramatic impact on this province. And we really seem to be moving forward with great speed on um, hydro, uh, sorry, hydrogen development in Newfoundland and Labrador. And we all know that a lot, there's a lot of people out there who are uncomfortable, if you will, with the pace. We've heard from them on open line uh, numerous times. So if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call as well. That's it for, I'm not going to continue yakking here. Just because I've raised these issues doesn't mean that we're stuck to these particular, um, issues. So by all means, whatever is on your mind, the lines are currently open. You are welcome to give us a call. Here are the numbers. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly today. We are going to start the show in Corner Brook and speak with Agnes. Hi, Agnes. Hi, Linda, is it? Yes. Very good. Okay. I'm making a, a call this morning because I'm in my 80s myself and my Friend, good friend is 92. She'll a couple of months. She'll be 93. So yesterday morning, I was talking to her, and she had been up all night with a fast heartbeat, and she was plenty nervous. So she got ready and went to the emerge, and she waited till 20 minutes to 12 last night. Sat there, diabetic and everything, and at her age, wasn't hasn't been seen. She had an EKG, got no results, nothing hadn't been seen. 20 minutes to 12, she went home. She picked up the phone and she phoned him and she said, she told him her age and she said, I'm, I'm sick and I'm tired and I'm, I'm going home. And they said, well, if you have any more episodes, come back. How long was now, she there? She went there from yesterday morning before dinner. I don't know the exact time, so it's not for me say but it was before dinner until 20 minutes to 12 last night so 12 hours in other words roughly yes yeah. uh, wow you know, 12, yeah and she was sitting there all that time 90 odd years old now this is a person that's a retired nurse she's worked there for 40 years but i mean you know but i mean the point is like the same, the same as myself. She, like when something comes up with me, she'll say to me, "Why don't you go to the hospital?" But now she she knows why I won't go to the hospital because I've done that too. Like it's there's there has to be something wrong. I mean, we've lived all those years, and 
Like we're not like neither neither one of us are frequent visitors to the hospital. We're not. Yeah. So you're the type of people that will. You're the type of people who will go to the hospital if you think something's really wrong. Really bad. If you've got to be almost like like she said to she said to me when I was talking to her this morning there now a little while ago. She said, I'm going to die home. I'm not going back there. I'm not going back. I'll die home. And how many people are are the same as as her, you know, go home, I guess, in frustration because they're tired and they're miserable and they'd rather be in their own beds than sitting up in in an emergency room somewhere? I'm another one of them, I know, and I know there's a lot more like it. And it's ridiculous. I mean, like, like there's, (laughs) they, they got what they call fast track. But you're, if you're sitting there, like I, I had to go there a while back, and it wasn't immersed. I had to go, and I sat there for seven hours. It was it was unreal, unreal. And I mean, you're like, like like I say, like there's people coming and going, coming and going, but they're not like when I was there for seven hours. I think there were three people got called in. So there, there's something wrong with that picture. There, there's definitely something wrong. So what do you think is behind that? I mean, of course, there's lots of things that go in an emergency room that we're simply not aware of, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I do know what you mean. I do, yeah. But uh, what do you think might be behind that? Is it volume? No Could it be staffing? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like... I, I, I don't know, but I do know that someone should be looking over the books and say, how many patients, like, like what, what I find strange for myself is that if you go to Emerge and you get seen by a doctor, you say, if I went there 10 o'clock and got called in quarter after 10 to see the doctor, uh, 25 after 10, 10.30, I'm ready to leave because they don't spend hours with you unless you need blood work and that, and if you do, you're... They, they leave you there. You have your blood work. You wait till the results to come back for the doctor to come back to you. The doctor leaves and go on. That's the way it was. He would go on and see another patient and come back to you when he got the results of your blood work or whatever test you had to have done. But not anymore. There's something drastically wrong. And it's it's unreal. Some, I mean, no, I mean, we got a government. What are they doing? Yeah, and I mean, uh, everybody who presents at an emergency room is triaged, but you think that a 92-year-old woman with rapid heartbeat, uh, with a knowledge of the, uh, medicine, <laughs> might exactly. get, uh, might get you know, pushed up a little bit. But even, even, I don't know if it's pushed up or even, like, there's, there's people walked in, and, of course, I mean, she did, too. She walked in, into Emer. She drove herself there, and she walked in. But, I mean, it's it's unreal to think that you've got to sit there for the, for that long and then feel so bad that you got the phone and say, I'm, I'm too tired, I'm too hungry, I'm going home. Yeah, hungry is another thing now, and, and soon yeah, the yeah, options... You're sitting there, no dinner, no supper. Yeah, and soon the options that uh, people would uh, take in uh, keeping themselves <laughs> uh, sustained are going to be severely limited as well. 
Definitely. I mean, she, not only that, but she's quite active. She, she, but someone went, she said, someone went down to the cafeteria. They said, well, I'll go get you something to eat, but it was closed. So, you know, uh, no, there, there's some, there's the human part of it or something is gone. There's something, there's something missing. You know, there's something drastically wrong. And it's like, of course, I know in our world today, everything is changing. There's something wrong with a lot of stuff. But in the meantime, this is, this is, you know, this is beyond. Do you think um, age has to do anything with it? Uh, You know, that uh, somebody looks at... I mean, like for me... I have attended years ago. I, I used to attend all the time the seniors' convention that they'd have once a year in St. John's or Gander or Cornerbrook, wherever they had it to. And and, if, and I'm a member of a seniors' club in here, around here. And um, a lot of people people feel. In fact, it was only yesterday I spoke to another friend of mine who's, of course, a senior. And, uh, you know, a lot of us feel that we've lived to be this age. You've lived your life now. We, we feel that we're put there and, like, we're not treated like we thought we would be treated. A lot of seniors feel like that. That That is uh, a thought in most of the seniors' minds, I, I'm pretty well sure. Because, like, I, I've been involved with different organizations over the year. Like, I've been on the committee for the breast cancer retreat, on the committees for the Relay for Life. I facilitated a cancer support group. I've been on the council in my community. Other things, other committees I've been involved with. And it's always that idea that the older we get, the less we get treated rest we get respected well and agnes I, i'd like to hear what others have to say have they noticed a change as they've aged in the attitudes uh, in the healthcare system or in other uh, ways in which they're you know dealing in their daily lives uh, i'd like to hear what people have to say about that because uh, you know we we hear about uh ageism but we don't you know get a, you know examples of it if you know what i mean yeah, no, it's it's a bit much. It's um, well, like for myself, like 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 I'm health, I'm not healthy right now. I have issues, and I mean it's 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 fighting to stay alive every day. And you're, I mean, I'm not the only one. There's hundreds and hundreds that are like it. And there's a lot worse off than I am. But anyway, there's so many issues out there, my love. Anyway, one of those days I'll give you another call on another subject. But to me today, this is this is utterly ridiculous. When someone that is 92 years old only goes to the hospital, probably probably that's only the third or fourth time in her lifetime. Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying, Agnes. We'll see what others have to say. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Give me the time. Alrighty. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'd like to hear what others have to say about that. Have you noticed, uh, if you're of a certain age, have you noticed that uh, you're treated differently? Uh, there seems to be an underlying current there, if uh, if I'm reading uh, Agnes right. Um, we're going to go now to Charlie. You're on the air. Hi, Charlie. Oh, good morning, 
Linda. I didn't realize I, I, I was coming on. I, I'm a little bit discombobulated. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry to throw you off. I, no, I, I, I thought there was one ahead of me. Uh, no, I was going to... Let, let, let me turn this down. A little, little bit of uh, good news. I was reading a study that uh, a couple of days ago, ranking of the uh, 10 best countries in the world. And guess where Canada was? We were we were second. Hello? Yes, sorry about that. Dave oh. was just giving me some instructions there. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. No, Canada ranked second among the countries. Uh, Switzerland was first, so ahead of the Scandinavian countries. Uh, uh, so that, I thought that was pretty good, right? Okay. Um, I wanted to speak about, there was a study done, I think it was, uh, yeah, 1,300 scientists, four-year study. I think they spent about $24 million. They looked at the Hertz natural systems. And they concluded that uh, nine out of ten, we were in, 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 in peril. In other words, we're living way beyond our means. And um, you can't, for instance, uh, expect to destroy as, as much of the forests around the world as we're doing with, with, with uh, not only harvesting it, but burning and uh, slashing uh, for, for uh, crops and that. And of course, forest fires. You can't expect to do these things and and, and continue to have a, a quality of life. So, although w- w- we rank up there in the world, if you look at all the problems that uh, people have here in Canada, can you imagine what it would be like uh, in 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 some other areas? You know. You yeah, want to comment it, on it? It's, uh, it's alarming uh, to see the uh, impact human beings have had on the uh, the planet. You know over the millennia, but in particular the last hundred years or so, I, I suppose even longer than that, the Industrial Revolution. Um, and uh, you wonder, and we all wonder, I think it's on all of our minds on some level or not, uh, how, do we, how do we deal with this? How do we, I mean, because we still need to function and uh, we are consumers of food and everything else uh, and our numbers are getting higher and higher and higher all the time uh, you know how is this planet uh, going to sustain us well I feel like you get a, a guy like Elon Musk who, who's supposed to be a, a, a genius and that and he comes on and says the world needs more people now I guess with his lifestyle and money uh, he can afford to say that but uh, to bring people out of poverty across the world, we don't have the resources to to even do that. So to improve nope. people's lives, somebody else has to give up, which which of course would have to be uh, us. Uh, to to uh, so that will tell you if you can bring people out of poverty across the globe with, with without hurting the planet, then what does that say about the numbers of people here, and what does that say about our own our own consumption rates? You know? Yeah, for sure. And uh, now it seems worse than ever. I mean, things are not made to last. We all know that. Um, I mean, uh, an appliance, for instance, just as an example, uh, yeah. used to be one time you'd have an appliance for decades. Yes. Who who today has an appliance that they expect is going to last for the next 20, 20 or 30 years? Well, it's 
certainly built in obsolescence. Some of the products we, uh, we've bought in the last uh, a decade or so, you get a year or so. One, one time, as you said, you get 10, 12, 15 years. So it's all built you know, to, to almost destroy rather than to preserve or conserve. And uh, I agree with you. There's, there's no way we can do that. By the way, a little, little comparison here with Canada. I was surprised. Uh, 5.7 of our electricity is generated by coal. But just listen to some of these other countries, which, which shows how little hope we have of cleaning up the atmosphere. I didn't know this. Australia, 75% of its uh, electricity is generated by coal. China, 59. Uh, South Korea, 40%. Germany, 30. The U.S., 20. Russia, 18. And here we are. I mean, coal is 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 it's it's just a natural poison for uh, for 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 the atmosphere. And, and here's China. Uh, I think they said they're approving two coal-fired plants uh, each week. So, Linda, I don't know all this talk of uh, combating climate change and so on. I really think for years we've 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 gone beyond that point, and we've shown that these figures here show that uh, we're not really serious in 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 one sense about this, right? Charlie, sobering indeed. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, nice talking to you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. Lines are open. Now is your chance to give us a call. Anything you've heard or anything you want to raise, by all means, here are the numbers. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back on VOCM Open Line. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. A little bit of a slow start to the show this morning. What I tend to find is that as the show progresses, more and more people tend to call us. And then guess what happens? They get crowded out at the end of the program. So uh, now is your chance to uh, get in the queue and give us a call. We're going to go now to Bob. You're on the air. Hi, Bob. Yes, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm all right, Bob. How are you? You sound beautiful to me. Oh, thanks. What's on your mind? Uh, Well, there's a lot of stuff. I'm I'm an old man, right? And the lady called in about the problem at the hospitals, right? I was in shortly ago with a heart attack again, right? Oh, my, yeah. But the problem with the, I think now, is my opinion only, I think the the shortage, shortage of doctors and nurses, and and they're overworked, and the majority of people in Newfoundland now are, are getting older and sicker, and and this is why. The problem is with the hospitals. Well, uh, you know, healthcare officials have acknowledged that for some time. We've sort of got this these two things coming together at once. The population is rapidly aging, and and uh, healthcare professionals uh, um, are leaving the system, or they're having trouble recruiting people. I think they're trying their best to make some inroads there and get more and more uh, nurses and um, uh, healthcare professionals and doctors into the system. Um, but of course, they're aging as well, as you know, and uh, so it's a, it's sort of this confluence of uh, you know all these things coming together at once, and everybody's kind of noticing it. Yes, it's a combined 
problem uh, too many things at one time. It's the same as if a person has too much on their mind at one time. They can't do it. You've got to concentrate on one thing mostly. And when you get older, you have to do it that way. But see, if, if, if the government, in, in their wisdom and the health care, uh, sit down and look at it the right way, now, what is the right way? I don't know. But there is a answer to the problem. Every problem got a solution. You just got to find it. And you won't find it by throwing good money after bad. You got to sit down and be realistic about it and, and, and use a lot of common sense. This is how problems are solved. Certainly. As you know, I have no education in school. I never got very much. I got grade three. That's all I got in school. But uh, a lot of our problems were solved by just a bit of common sense. Unfortunately, things like the healthcare system, incredibly uh, complex and uh, so many layers and so many uh, things coming together at the same time. So, I mean, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying, but uh, it's it's a it's a tricky, I guess, area that has sort of dominated things over the last little while. We're trying to figure it all out because things are changing so rapidly. That's right. See, things are the, the world has not changed. It's the people in the world are changing. And there's what we used to take for a common cold years ago was a bit of liniment and molasses and a couple of aspirins. Now they got 40 or 50 different kinds of stuff on the shelf, which a lot of it is no good to you. It's a, they're not getting the right, right medicine. It's the same as your food. What you are, what you eat, my dear. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Unfortunately, the older people now, like myself, haven't got the money to buy the right food to put in their bodies. This is why more people are getting sick, and it's costing the health care. And this is it's all a combined problem, and it makes a big problem. What do you think of grocery prices? It's outrageous, but see, uh, when I was young, we grew vegetables. We had our own vegetables. We never ran to the store to get what we wanted. We had our own cattle, milk. Now you get milk now, so it's mostly, mostly water in the milk. And the food is not the same. It's forced growth, and there's that many chemicals in it. It's making us sick. Now, we've got to eat it or starve to death. So what do you do? You're damned if you do or damned if you don't. Yes, and you we've know? become accustomed to, you know, eating all these foods that come to us from all over the world. I was talking to somebody in the newsroom the other day, and she said she she enjoyed a, an orange one time in Greece. And she said yes. it spoiled her for the rest of her life because she said oranges don't taste like that one orange she had in Greece that was literally just picked off the tree. Right. It's the same thing, my dear. It's the same thing as our blueberries. Our blueberries is the best in the world. Oh, the yes. You know, and, and, and like this uh, kill the seals net for the eat for food. You know, they banned that, the, the seal people, 
Appreciate uh, some of your perspective on all of this this morning. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're a good, good woman on the radio. All right. Thanks so much, Bob. You take care. Any Daly better watch him because you're going to knock him out. <laughs> I don't think I'm knocking Patty Daly out anytime soon. I really appreciate your time, Bob. I'm just saying that the one Patty Daly up. Yeah, no, he's got a height advantage anyway. I know. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Have a good day, dear. Tell all your listeners I'll say a prayer for them. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Bob there with a little bit of uh, common sense. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen this or not, but there's a, a lot of talk going on around social media of late about something to do with uh, Newfoundland power account numbers being changed and how it's affecting people with their banks if they pay online, that kind of thing. Has anyone encountered that? Does anybody know if there's any truth to that? Uh, I know it's uh, all over social media, but you don't know sometimes if what is out there is factual or not. So I'm just throwing it out there to see if anybody has uh, encountered that or seen that or knows what I'm talking about, um, because I don't, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, so we're trying to get some truth to that from Newfoundland Power. But in the meantime, if anybody's encountered anything like that has any trouble uh, paying their bills online because there have been changes to their account numbers. Um, one would think you would get notification for that. Anyway, if you know anything about it, by all means, do give us a call. We have our lines open. Now is your chance to do so um, on this dreary old day. So why not pick up the phone? Here are the numbers. And we're back on VOCM Open Line. Uh, we're going to go now to the beautiful town of Dover. It's not his fault. Tony Keats, hello. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's been a long time. It has indeed. And uh, I see that you're in the running for a pretty big honor. Yeah, it's it's surprising to me, too, to be honest with you. Uh, back in May, I do believe, our town manager and council nominated me for this Merle, uh, World Mayor uh, Award, um, you know, and, and we just took it as, you know, just a just a little laugh, to be honest with you, because we, we didn't think it was going to get this far. Uh, you know, I made it to the, I think it was top 94, 95 at that time. And, uh, you know, we received a um, an email and a call that, uh, yeah, I, I, I was selected for the uh, top 25. 
That's just amazing. I'm looking at some of these uh, people. My goodness, you're up against Vitaly Klitschenko of Kiev. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, you know that's amazing because you know you you look at the populations uh, within that 25, uh, the top 25 mayors that selected. Uh, you know, and coming from a rural community with a population under 700, and the nearest one to me, I think, is in the, I don't know if it's 25,000 or something like that, and then we go up to hundreds of thousands and, and even millions because when you get into Japan and them places, uh, you know, the, the population just, uh, just uh, explodes there, right? Wow, I'm looking at some of them now. Uh, Johanna Roland of Nantes in France. Uh, uh, my goodness, uh, Luxembourg, yeah. uh, Leipzig, uh, Malmo in Sweden, Kobe in Japan. My goodness gracious. Uh, so <laughs> what does it feel like to be amongst, you know, these world leaders? Well, to be honest, Linda, it's, it's just an honor just to be recognized that, you know, we're we're doing something right within our communities, and uh, and to be placed there within uh, within those mirrors uh, from around the world is uh, is um, it's mind-boggling to be honest with you, and it's overwhelming uh, just to be selected and uh, to be on that list. Uh, just to you know, I have the honor of of doing what I do is is honor enough to be honest with you. But to, you know, to have that kind of pat on the back, it uh, it means so much to be honest with you, Linda. I see you're next to the mayor of Bristol. I wonder if people think, uh, you know, somehow you're in the UK somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's let them think that. <laughs> you know, if, if it's going to garner more votes, uh, sure. You know, but uh, even if I don't, uh, you know, if I, I don't be placed in the top ten or, or or don't win, it's it's just an honor to be on that list and uh, and to be in the top twenty-five. To be honest with you. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, <laughs> what does it mean if you are, I mean, it's obviously there's a little bit of bragging rights here in this top 25, sure. but, uh, you know, what does it mean for Dover? How do you think it will impact the town? Well, you know, it, 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 just, it just, you know, highlights that, you know, rural areas within our province and within our country uh, do have something to offer, and 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 coming from a rural community, I know that you know just as well as anybody else, and and we and, and we push for you know everything that we do and everything that we get, because I've always said, Linda, and I think you know that that uh, you know we're the first level of government. You know, the federal government always thinks or. or you know that they're the first level of government, but I look at it the other way because you know we're the closest to the people. Uh, you know we live here, we work here, uh, we know what the issues are. I've I've always said to you know government officials, just give us the money so that we can put it where it's needed to and 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 get the job done and get it done right. So you know that's where my art is. My art is always within the community and serving the people of uh, of my community and the province of Newfoundland and the rest of Canada. To be honest with you. So what's all the news in Dover these days? Uh, well, we, you know, we're just coming off a great tourism season, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we, we've had a big influx of tourists from, from around the world, because, and, and we contributed to the uh, Come From Away show in Gander. Uh, the love story of Nick and Diane, uh, you know, they fell in love and realized that here in, in Dover, at the uh, Dover Fault. Uh, so, you know, we had a big influx of uh, visitors this summer. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still, you know, chewing at the bit. We're getting things done here. Uh, and it's always a struggle, uh, you know, I, I admit that. But, uh, but we, you know, we do what we can for, uh, for our residents and for visitors who, uh, who, who come to our community. It's appropriate that you're in amongst uh, this uh, international group of people because Dover is where North America meets Africa. Exactly, exactly. You know, our, our continents collided and, and, and part of the, uh, you know, the... Uh, 
the African and uh, European continents uh, stayed here with us, and uh, that's what makes uh, Newfoundland and, and our community so unique, to be honest with you. Yeah, and uh, still a bit of a hidden treasure. Um, I know that the town of Dover makes the most of it, but uh, I I dare say there's still quite a few Newfoundlanders and Labradorians don't know this unique part of our geological history. Yeah, that's that's, that's so true. You know, I've always said that, you know, we don't promote ourselves to ourselves sometimes and and, uh, and just getting the word out there, you know, what we have to offer. That's why we, we try to offer such... Uh, unique experiences within our regions is try to get people in here and try to, to you know make them understand that you know what we have to offer and and when I visit you know through Newfoundland and Labrador that's that's what I do I, I I usually go to smaller communities to see what they got because sometimes they're not acknowledged in that way. So what does this mean now? This world mayor nomination. What what's next in the process? So right now we got until October the twentieth for people to vote and get their statements off uh, support into. Uh, the world mirror and um, so by doing that uh, you know you 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 just you just uh, email and email linda is dover at worldmirror.com so the most more people that can you know get the votes in and get the statements of support uh, attached to those emails uh, you know that's uh, that's greater for uh, for my uh, advancement uh, to the top 10 and that's going to be announced in late october and in December, at the end of the year, they will then publish who um, gets the World Mirror Award title. Well, we all know how Newfoundlanders and Labradorians love to rally behind one of our own. We've seen it happen time and time again. Uh, so hopefully this might, uh, uh, the world might get a little bit of shock of how uh, much Newfoundlanders and Labradorians can rally. That's right. And I support all the, uh, the support that I've been getting and uh, I look forward to uh, to looking at those statements and, and seeing what people are saying and uh, and like I said before Linda you know uh, just knowing that uh, you're doing something right and getting those pat on the backs means so much because you know being a small town mayor or even a mayor within in our province or in our country sometimes it's uh, it's overwhelming on the other uh, the other end to be honest with you. And what's the population of Dover now? So we're at 663, 367 depending on uh, you know seasonal to be honest with you sometimes we go a little higher uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's around 667, give or take. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just amazing um, when you think about you're up against uh, Istanbul, which is, you know, millions and millions yeah. of people. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what opened my eyes when I looked at it because, you know, like I said, you know, first when I was nominated, I, we, we took it as, you know, it's not going to go nowhere because we're only a small community in, in, a, in a small province, to be honest with you, because, you know, some of those populations are are way bigger than even our province. You know, so um, so no, it's, it's the, and the way they got it is is that the most statements that you put in about you know why you are voting for that particular person, uh, that goes a long way in their decision in uh, in making that uh, decision in December. Well, maybe your numbers uh, and your population and our population might uh, go in your favor because there's more people who know you here, uh, I would argue, than uh, know the mayor of uh, Kobe or Istanbul. Well, hopefully, you know, if, uh, if people can get in and vote, it's, uh, it would mean a lot. And, uh, and I appreciate, uh, you know, your support and, uh, and you calling me today. All right. Well, uh, all the best to you, Tony. We'll see what happens. No problem. Thanks, Linda. We'll uh, talk again soon, I hope. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a good one. Okay. okay bye-bye. bye-bye. We're going to go now to the caller on line two. Hello. Yes. Hi, Linda. Hi. 
Yes, I'm calling concerning uh, my car was vandalised the night before last and I was wondering if anybody in the Scamble Crescent area would have seen anything on their cameras or whatnot. Because uh, Vandalised? What happened? Well, I had a meeting yesterday around 2 o'clock at my house and when he came, he noticed first we thought one tyre was down. Then when I went out and looked, four tyres were down and the whole car from one side to the other was all scratched up. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? Oh, it's out there sitting there, very sad looking. And I said, I'm not going to rush to fix this because it'd be nice to let the neighbourhood see this this is what is happening around here. Is this uh, uh, an isolated incident, or have you been seeing a lot of this kind of thing where you live? No, and I have no enemies that I know of. I haven't had any words with anybody. I've been living here now. I moved from downtown, moved here in Mount Pearl, uh, going eight years now. Haven't all the neighbors are nice people, you know, where you come down the little loop or off of the main street, you know, just from the schools there and... I, I'm just totally devastated and surprised. And, and it was aimed for my car because no one else's cars, like on each side of me, was touched. And the whole four tire, at first I thought they were like the ear was let out of them. And then I was thinking to myself, wait now, who, who was going to take the time <laughs> to let the ear out of each tire? It'd have to take you an hour or so to do something like that. And then when myself and Pat looked closer, he said, no, my dear, first of all, we were looking for a pump. I said, my God, I said, I, I, I can't imagine. And then when we looked closer, uh, no, there was a knife hole, my dear, put right through each tire. And they would have taken the knife. And, well, they, Pat said, no, they call it key in your car. I said, oh, oh, I said, well, this looks like a knife that came right around the car. Made a point to get in the back windshield. The car is just, it needs a whole complete paint job. And four brand-new tires. Oh, dear God, the cost of that. Yeah, and it was meant for my car because if it was kids, the lady across the street and down the road, I asked if she had a camera, and she's going to look into it for me, but, I mean, I didn't hear back from her. I phoned the police. The police can't do nothing about it. Uh, they uh, basically can't, don't even come and look at your car, don't even go as far as letting you know, is there a camera in the area? Like, if somebody was going to do that, they wouldn't park on your street. They'd probably park a street up or something. You know, I'm just surmising here now because I don't have the slightest clue. Could it be mistaken identity? Well, that's what crossed our mind, too. But, I mean, how? I mean, I have a little, little old Kia, uh, Kia sport car and it's in pretty good shape so there's i don't see a lot of them going around so i don't know it very well could have been like there's no one i can pinpoint you know and said my god it's not something going on down you know my basement apartment is something going on and there's somebody you know and apparently they're pretty quite down there they don't know of anything on on the go and i'm they're as surprised as i am so I, I just don't know. I, I, I just uh, can't. It was so strange when I w- went out to get milk the night before and came home. Said, "My God, everyone seems to be in a hurry." Said, "You got to take your time." I said, "Let them get around you because if you start saying anything," I said, "Next minute they'd be following you or something." It was so strange. I was saying to Pat that that kind of crossed my mind, even though I had no incident. 
but like how careful you got to be, you know. Yeah. And Pat said, oh, yeah. He said, and well, his reaction was like, it could be mistaken identity. I said, but my God, I said, it wouldn't, it, wouldn't they know where the person lived? Or I said, I don't know. I'm just, I'm Well, just, I'm it, it defies any logic, really. I mean, you can, you can uh, stay up all night thinking about why, but uh, uh, I really am sorry to hear that that happened to you. And unfortunately, these things, we're hearing more and more about it. I hear about it all the time. People telling me that they had their cars broken into or vandalized or whatever the case may be. Um, well, if anyone in the Scammell Crescent area happens to have any... Uh, uh, video or or images or surveillance because a lot of people do uh, that might when did this occur uh, the night before last it would have been late in the night because well I go to bed usually around 9 30 10 o'clock so, and I mean the car was pulled right up to my front steps there so and Tuesday right night Wednesday morning yes yeah all right well um, uh, hopefully they contact the RNC and let them know Yes, and if somebody could call in and let you guys know if they have a camera or something that I can, you know, you know, because kind of odd to go around knocking on people's doors and stuff, you know. No, I understand what you, especially now when you don't know, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, and no one else's car like was bothered, so uh, it, it, it seemed they wanted my car for someone to go out of their way to do four tires. Four tires, and, and then and then key the whole thing. And oh keyed my all goodness the gracious! Whole thing. And I mean, you, and it was the side where it's further away from the passenger side. I mean, it's just, they, they meant business the way they have to be scratches in through it. You poor went. thing. I'm well, my dear, um, hopefully you get some satisfaction here. Uh, let us know if you do, will you? Yes, and I mean, the police can't, apparently they can't do nothing. I said, so you can't see if there's cameras or nothing. No, my dear, he said, we get all kinds of calls and I said, so in other words, there's nothing you can do. But someone can come in, vandalize your property. We're, we're big taxpayers here, but there's nothing you can do. He said, no. He said, there's not. Well, I said, you don't yeah, even come by and look at it. So, I mean, uh, that, that, that's, that's so I thought to myself, my God, I, I, if that's the case, what do we ju- we're just like sitting ducks here, and anyone can come and do what they like to you. That spooky world of living. That's all I can say. It's not a good feeling, is it? Well, uh, we have to leave it there because we're overdue for the news now, my dear. But uh, hopefully uh, you have insurance, I assume. Oh, yes, I have insurance, but I don't have insurance to cover me for vandalism. Like, oh, my goodness I'm going to have to call him and ask because, I mean... You have public liability. Parent, yeah, and yeah. my older parent, I thought, you know, I'm only going to be keeping this for the next few years. I got a bunch of work done at Wilkins last summer, and she was going pretty good. Oh, my. But you don't look very pretty now. No, indeed. All right, well, we have to leave it there, but uh, thank you for your call. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yes, and if someone can call in and let me know if they got to get cameras or whatever. And also, just to let them know that in the Scammell Crescent area, they, they want to be leery because there's someone going around and there's something, something's happening around here that I don't know what it is, but they want to be looking out around their homes and that in the nighttime. All right. Thanks for your call. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, wow. You just, uh, you talk about not a good feeling. Doesn't leave you feeling very safe, does it? Um, we're over for the news. Uh, Brian Madour is next. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. 
And we're back on VOCM Open Line. And, you know, just uh, during uh, uh, while Brian was on the air reading his news, uh, Dave um, Williams, our producer, came in and said, uh, I wonder, he said, does anybody have any thoughts on what the Jays are doing? And uh, I'm one of those casual, I suppose, uh, Jays fans. I don't know all the stats. I don't know all the uh, precise, you know, plays and that sort of thing. But I do know I enjoy watching a good uh, baseball game, especially when the Jays are playing. And uh, uh, Brian Medore, what's happening? (laughs) Well, I think we kind of have to categorize this as probably a new low for the team it wasn't just that they lost 10 to nothing that was their ninth shutout on the seat nine times they've been shut out prolific offense last year uh, can't seem to do anything this year they had a nice stretch there just before the texas series where uh, they had won i think it was uh, four out of five or five yeah. out of six or something like that uh, they were in a playoff spot game and a half ahead of texas going in against the rangers that has just simply gone south oh. they are now out of a playoff spot but the 10 nothing game last night here's why it was so dreadful it was dreadful dreadful painful to watch very difficult Uh, i saw george springer swinging at pitches that were about a foot off the plate and an inch off the ground like i mean this is a guy was an mvp guy just a few years ago before the jays got him uh vladdy same thing guerrero great hitter uh, bichette uh oh for three just swinging at bad pitches uh actually their best hitters are the guys they brought up from the minor Yes. Ernie Clement and Davis Schneider. Uh, But now uh, Chapman is coming back at third base. But I don't know. He had a great April, but that was it. He has fizzled since. Uh, So I don't know if you can put him in the lineup or not, because that would be at the expense of, uh, you know, the fill-ins who are doing a better job than Chapman had done. So they got all kinds of problems. The Boo Birds came out last night. Oh, did they ever? And it was resounding. It was resounding. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, from time to time you do hear, you know, uh, people in the stands uh, giving their opinions, but man, that was overwhelming. Yeah, I I don't know what the issue is there but it just seems like there's I don't know if it's lack of desire I can't imagine it at that level but there's a lack of something going on there I don't know if it's uh you know the hitting coach is not uh, performing Mattingly is a top it was a top hitter in his day in the uh, Major League Baseball with the Yankees so you know the guy knows how to hit he knows all the ins and outs of it uh, what happened like they didn't have a real offense this year for most of the no, year their no. pitching is what saved them they had the yes. second best ERA in Major League Baseball they have second best but then this last few games the pitching fell apart so as a result well the, the bullpen is getting tired isn't it well the bullpen uh, was pretty close to the best bullpen in baseball uh, but it's the starting pitching that has fallen apart the last little while the last few games uh, so that was really their bread and butter was the starting pitching and that that has now gone south and once uh, when you don't have an offense and your pitching goes south then you've got problems so uh, they have problems right now I don't know if they can turn this around it's it's starting to get a little bit late in the season with about 15 or 16 games left you gotta you gotta make your move now something's got to happen oh man that was brutal last night brutal I had it on uh, but man 
I uh, I don't know how that team could be outscored twenty six to seven in three pivotal games, games that you had to win mm-hmm. at least two yeah. of those three, and how you could be outscored twenty six to seven at this juncture is beyond me. I did not foresee this. I thought they had turned it around and were going to take three or four from Texas. They'll be lucky to salvage the one tonight. A lot of Jays fans out there. I'd love to hear what they have to say. Uh, Brian, thank you. Right, Jarp. Okay. Uh, We're going to go now to the MHA for Labrador West, Jordan Brown. Hello, Jordan. Good morning, Linda. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. So, uh, Francois Legault is raising a few eyebrows here today. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, it's pretty interesting now. We're, we're, we're seeing, you know, the future of Newfoundland Labrador's power needs. Uh, uh, we're getting our information from the, uh, the Twitter account of uh, the Premier of Quebec and uh, also, uh, you know, uh, uh, Journal Quebec, uh, who both been uh, following uh, Legault and his, uh, I guess, his energy tour, where he's touting that, you know, he's, he's working on a deal to, uh, to build Gull Island, and we're hearing nothing from our own Liberal government. Yeah, and and this is starting to feel like a bit of a a trend. I don't know if that's a fair assessment or not, but I'll let the listeners decide. But um, so we have this on the one hand, the these reports of uh, you know um, discussions about this hydro hydrogen pipeline from Labrador into the island, and now we see Francois Legault sort of obviously moving forward or wanting to pers- uh, appear as though he's moving forward on Gull Island, and yet uh, very little from our government. Yeah, absolutely. It's disappointing to see that, you know, we, like, we're hearing about our future, our power, you know, especially here, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, Gull Island, which is in my backyard. Um, we're talking about this, but we're hearing it from, you know, from Quebec, and we're not hearing it from our own, uh, our own liberal government. This is what's really scary, is that we don't see any open and transparency on what's going on, you know. Uh, why is, uh, you know, the Premier of Quebec, who's, you know, we all know is in, the, you know, the 2041 negotiations with, uh, with our own government, uh, you know, going around able to tell his constituents that, you know, oh yeah, we're building Gull Island, and we're going to get a new deal for Churchill Falls, and we're, it's all going well, and we can't even get an update from our own our, our own ministers, our own government inside our own province. You know, we're talking about you know a project inside our own boundaries, and we're talking about you know uh, we have our own internal energy needs. So, are we going to sell the shop? Are we going to sell it all off to Quebec? And we're still going to suffer here with uh, with our own energy needs, while we have a you know the premier of Quebec who's you know, openly, uh, you know, disputes the border with Labrador, too, on his own Twitter account at, at times. And he's going to talk about, you know, what, what he's going to get out of us. Well, certainly. And, uh, of course, we still are all collectively feeling the sting of the Upper Churchill uh, project. Um, now, um, this government seems to have a much, uh, I guess, uh, more collaborative kind of uh, relationship with Francois Legault. Do you think that that will help us? It's hard to say because uh, right now, so uh, in the article, one of the articles where he's talked about he's going to build Gull Island, um, he uh, also talks about the need for 100 uh, terawatts of electricity uh, for Quebec. Uh, right now, in my own district right now, we have massive electrical demands. Like we have, we, we're, we're short electricity here in Labrador West. And we're, you know, we have the Quebec uh, Premier talking about the power that he's going to get from us. And I can't even, you know, uh, secure power for even for Labrador West because, uh, you know, we're, you know, because of feet dragging in this government. So at the same time, are we going to meet the demands of this province first, or are we going to meet the demands of Quebec first? We don't know because our premier is not out here telling us what's actually going on right now, you know. And then on top of that, you have Mr. Legault going around his province talking about this whole thing, 
you know, uh, we, you know, we've heard loud and clear, you know, that the, uh, you know, our indigenous uh, partners, you know, uh, the Indian nation has, you know, have they been consulted? Because that's on their territory. Apparently it's news to them. Well, there we go. So it's news to the it's news to uh, to the Inu too about uh, about this uh, the Skull Island thing, and we have the Premier of Quebec going around. So either he's either the Premier of Quebec is uh, sadly mistaken about what's going on, or our government is keeping it from us on what's actually going on, and they're keeping us in the dark, which is not fair to us because we should know at least how our energies or needs are going to be met. You know, we we have uh, you know we have the issues with the Lil, we have issues with Muskrat Falls. You know, we have, uh, you know, um, Liberty Consulting, you know, walking away because of foot, feet dragging and, and, you know, not, you know, indecisiveness. And, you know, then we're talking about a diesel generator at Holyrood and, you know, delays at getting uh, beta spare uh, number eight off the ground. So where is, you know, where is it? Where's the plan? Where is where is the, the future of energy needs for this province? Because clearly we're all being left in the dark and they're over in Europe talking about pipelines through Labrador. Um, Jordan Brand, we were, we're hoping to hear from the minister, uh, Andrew Parsons, a little later on the show. But in the meantime, um, we've been talking a lot about uh, housing needs and the like, especially in your district of Labrador West and the need there. And uh, we've seen some recent government announcements there. But I'm I'm told like things like um, there are no electrical inspectors, for instance, in Labrador. They have to be flown in uh, to to do that kind of work. And you can't really move forward unless you get all those kinds of things done. Is that is that hindering um, development in your area? Well, there's a, there's, it, it's, it's a whole combination of things that are hindering our development. One, um, this province has not put any money into uh, you know uh, any Newfoundland Labrador housing uh, new builds. We had two units burn, but we're still waiting for them to replace them. So we're short units, even from Newfoundland Labrador Housing, before we even got off the ground. So we're short two units that burn and never was replaced. We have two units that were uninhabitable, and we're, they haven't yet to put out a tender to, to repair them so people can actually move into them. So, you know, it, it, it's not just electrical inspectors. It's government foot dragging is, is another thing. We, we have not seen any new stock here. And we have right now, I just got the latest numbers here, I have over 30 applications so that's 30 you know either families or individuals 30 on a wait list for Newfoundland Labor housing and i have not seen a single plan put in place by this government to get those people housed not a single thing so, so uh, you, can, you can talk about electrical inspectors that's one thing yeah and and that's a whole other thing because we have a large mining industry the government don't pay as well as the mining industry and every time that Newfoundland Labor housing sent up anybody to actually work for Newfoundland Labor housing they got scalped and went off and worked for uh, they got IOC went and took them because tradespeople. So, you know, that's one thing on top of it. But at the end of the day, the biggest hindrance for housing development in, in Labrador West is the government itself. So um, it, it could it be because Labrador West has always sort of like been humming along for ever so long that it just went on the back burner? The biggest, the th- well, we've been in a housing crisis in Labrador West since 2014. It never really fixed itself. It, it, it's still been like in the back burner. People always had trouble with housing since 2014, even with the downturn in the close of Wabash Mines. We still had people looking for housing and had a hard time looking for housing. It, it, it's not it the back burner thing. Is that we're we're just so far away from the centralization of St. John's that they just by the time it comes to us we're just an afterthought to this government always have been and it's been disappointing to see like here in my role i've been advocating because we wanted seniors housing we've applied to the federal government five times for money for uh, for seniors housing up here and denied five times 
and, and you know, the provincial government just kind of like shrugged their shoulders, like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help you, but, you know, we got to get the feds on board. The feds didn't want to get on board. We could get no help from the federal government for the seniors' housing. And now we, we're here. I have 30 people on a wait, or 30 applications on a wait list for Newfoundland Arbor housing, and there's not a single thing being even, you know, put out there for anything, any project or anything like that, to build something to get these people housed because they can't afford market housing because it's just so ridiculous here. Yeah, very, very. What, what's the average uh, bungalow go for in Lab West now? I'll tell you this. So the house I grew up in was a two-story townhouse, and my parents bought it for a song off, off the bank in the 80s. Right now, that, my, that same house now for sale is almost half a million dollars. Here. Oh, my word. The house was built in 1975. So this is going to show you how kind of ridiculous the housing market here is in Labrador West. And we, you know, like there's like, the, you know, I don't give the municipalities credit. They've put out RFPs for proposals for development, uh, you know, housing development and stuff like that. But they can't even get convinced a developer to come up here because the cost of getting materials and stuff here is so expensive. And they can't even get help from the departments for any funding so that they can put the roads and water and sewer in to help, you know, spur development, you know, to do this. They can't even get help. They can't even get any commitment from the provincial government to help with that, to help expand the town. We want to expand. I have two mining companies here that talk about expansion every single day. Every single day they talk about expansion. And that goes back to the power needs uh, that we just discussed earlier with Legault. We have these two mining companies that want to expand. They want to do more here in this province. But if this government doesn't step in and actually take a good look at how we're going to house people in this region and how we're going to move forward in this region, we're going to let opportunity slip right through our fingers. Jordan Brown, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Your thoughts on anything he's had to say, by all means, do give us a call. We're going to go now to Alan Coombs. Hello, Alan. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, not too bad, I guess. How's your <clears throat> daughter doing? Uh, she's doing all right. She, uh the only problem we have is when Chelsea had her surgery, she had a gastric tube put in. She's not able to eat, like, by mouth. She has to have her feed. It's called Complete 1.5 through a tube. Since she went up to Montreal, which is not a part of her clinical trial, this feed, and that's her regular medical where she had her surgery, we can't get hold to nobody. We can't get no feed for her. She had to change her feed tube while she was in Montreal. We don't have the proper syringes and that to be flushing and putting her feed through. Uh, we've contacted the Minister of Health, Premier Fury. Nobody gets back to us. We contacted their office, like their assistants. We contacted the nurse that was coming in doing Chelsea's uh, dressing changes. They don't know what to tell us. They can't get no answers. We contacted the dietitian here about her feed, the complete 1.5, uh, which she has. They haven't been supplying. Uh, a box of that feed costs 179 dollars, and it only does four days. So, and up in Montreal, they they can't. Randa spoke with a, the social worker up there, and they can't tell her even where to buy it. So she be waiting for me to get the feed here to send by UPS, and she ends up having to put onshore through Chelsea's feed tube, and Montreal and the hospital there are saying you shouldn't be putting it through her feed tube, but I mean you got to put something there while you're waiting for the feed, uh, for me to get the feed and get it shipped up to her, uh, or she'll starve to death. 
Oh, my God. So just for uh, the purpose of our listeners who might not know what we're talking about here now, your daughter, Chelsea, was diagnosed uh, with a stage four tongue cancer. Is that correct? Yes, squamous cell carcinoma. Yeah. And she is uh, currently undergoing a clinical trial in Montreal, which is why uh, the healthcare is not covering the costs of this. Yes, but she's not living in Montreal. I mean, this is her regular medical. That If she was home here in Newfoundland, they'd be supplying. Now, my daughter had to fly home last night. Uh, she came home because if you're at a province any length of time, MCP is not going to cover you. Right. So she had to come back home, and we have to see about getting some feed and to complete. And uh, my wife even messaged the dietitian, everybody, and let them know that Chelsea'd be home yesterday, and uh, they they don't know what to don't know what to do, and nobody sent us any feed or. So what's uh, what's going on here? Why aren't you getting this 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 food for her? Well, I know, this is why I'm, I'm speaking with you this morning. It's time for this government to start answering some questions because they're not answering nothing for me. And I'm talking to people, and they're saying, well, how come this is not in the news? How come the government's not doing this? I mean, I've worked all my life. I've never, like, been on social assistance or nothing. And we feel like we were looked down on, and you feel like you're treated like crap. People that can't afford things and that that are on social assistance, how are they treated? Compared to how I know how they treat us, it's not very good. So um, you you want to get a hold of this this uh, feed as you put it complete one point five which will keep her um, nutrition up and and keep her alive um, yes. and you're having trouble getting it. Do you know what the holdup is? No, nobody gets back to us. And uh, the uh, the dietitian here, she said I'm trying. She said I can't get no answers. The, even the the nurse that she'll be here now shortly to look at Chelsea's dressing, she said I can't can't get no answers about getting supplies and to getting supplies to her there. Uh, the nurse uh, she at one point uh, she managed to get a few things for me and I sent the UPS up to Montreal. But other than that, there's nothing. How frustrating. So how is she making out so far? You say you're, you're giving her insurer? Yeah, uh, well, we have to. While my wife was waiting for me to be able to get complete uh, the complete 1.5 tour in Montreal, they, they can't even tell her where to buy it up there. Right, so you say she's back home now? Yes, she's, she came home last night. Okay, so um, uh, the um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit confused about why Montreal is a, is a factor now. Well, she has to go back. Oh, I see. She only come home because, uh, like I say, if you're at a province any length of time, MCP don't cover you. Right. So she has to come back just she, for that purpose, and she's going back to Montreal. When is she going back? Uh, she's go- We're going back Monday, me and her. Oh, my goodness gracious. What an ordeal. Now, here she is getting chemo. She's t- kind of wipes her out. And here, I, here we are, have to take her travel back home and then travel back to Montreal again and while she's here we, she, she had to come home for a couple appointments too and while she's here I guess I'm going to have to go in on the Confederation building parking lot and stare with a sign and try and get some answers
Well, I can only imagine the frustration uh, that you're going through right now. Um, Will you keep us up to date, Alan? Oh, I will, yes. Uh, And as of right now, Chelsea's holding her own. So, I mean, she she's finished one cycle. She's starting started another cycle uh, yesterday before she came home. So, how is she responding to the clinical trial? Well, so far it seems like her, all her blood work and everything is uh, stable. Uh, like her uh, blood count is stable. Her uh, white blood cells are good. Her red blood cells are good. So far, everything like she's holding her own with. Alan, all the best to you, uh, Chelsea, and your family. Thank you very much. Uh, again, Linda, it's time for Tom Osborne and the Premier to start answering some questions. And I mean, what, my daughter, when she was sick and their cancer metastasized to her lungs, they told her to go home and enjoy her life. They wouldn't even give us a referral to clinical trials or a second opinion. Now they're going to stare with this. Alan Coombs, I appreciate your call. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Wow, what an ordeal uh, that they are going through. Um, If you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. The lines are open now. Anything on your mind you want to raise? Uh, Please do so. Here are the numbers. And we're back on VOCM Open Line. We have lines open. Now is your chance to give us a call. And I was uh, reflecting on that call we received earlier today from the woman in Mount Pearl whose car was vandalized, keyed, and four tires slashed uh, sitting in her driveway. She has no idea uh, why that happened in her area, and she wants to know if anybody has any information to share so that, uh, you know, they can at least find out what happened. Um, and she's not the only person we've heard from recently. There's certain areas in and around um, the metro region where I um, continually hear about people who have their cars broken into, sometimes to such an extent that some people just leave their cars open. Uh, and, you know, the insurance companies will tell you, well, don't do that because then you're not going to be compensated. But uh, some people uh, getting frustrated with uh, that and how it can be, I guess, combated. Um, there's nothing worse, you know, for a lot of people than, you know, these senseless property crimes uh, where you don't feel safe anymore. You don't feel safe. You feel violated. You feel insulted. You feel put upon. Uh, in some cases, you are set back financially by it and regardless of whether or not any of that is the case it's just a pain it's an absolute pain but it it makes you feel angry and frustrated you got nowhere to put your i guess those feelings <laughs> so some people call open line but we've been receiving emails and the like over the last little while from people who are just frustrated with this type of activity and why it seems as though nothing can be done about it i'd like to hear from people who've been uh who've encountered this kind of thing what the solutions are and how um you know it affects you and uh, and you know, what the response is uh, from law enforcement. I mean, we tend to think that law enforcement can do what they like. They can't. They can't do what they like. And sometimes if there's no apparent uh, evidence left behind, uh, you know, their their hands are tied. They can keep the stats 
and maybe up patrols in certain areas. Uh, but it is a, a frustrating uh, type of crime, any type of uh, property. And graffiti, have you noticed? in and around town. Now, we've always seen graffiti. Uh, anyone who's driven the highway knows that there's, you know, areas where there's rock cuts and that sort of thing, and somebody will write something either funny or, you know, so-and-so loves this one, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, I don't have problems with anything like that, really, uh, driving along, but it's these tags and all of these types of things where it's just basically someone um, I don't know asserting themselves in some way or another by uh, destroying public property or private property for that matter you know uh, spraying signs is one thing spraying the side of a building or a fence is another that's uh, an expense to the person who owns that building or sign uh, and when there's that tipping point, too, you know, when one person does it, what's going to stop the next person from saying, oh, yeah, they did it there. I'm going to do it here. Uh, and sometimes there's rivalries involved in these kinds of things. I don't understand the inner workings of it. But, oh, my goodness, does it ever have an impact? And it sort of ruins everything for everyone, if you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, so if you've uh, seen this kind of thing or if you have any thoughts on possible solutions, I know the RNC is cracking down on vandalism uh, and uh, graffiti, particularly in the downtown area, and they've arrested a few people, some of them not even from St. John's, uh, some of them from the surrounding area, some some of them from either farther on beyond this province i think in one case they they made an arrest of somebody who, who was here from bc tagging things like what what really you came here to do this uh, honestly or you were here doing other things and you decided to do that anyway i'd like to hear what people have to say about that by all means give us a call lots more on the go of course and we've been talking about health care we've talked about the question of the day today on vocm.com uh, should government do more to allow seniors greater affordable access to important things like glasses dental care and hearing aids i'm surprised we haven't got more calls about that even if you aren't directly impacted there's no doubt someone in your life who at some point or another has uh, indicated to you that you know what I need a new pair of black glasses but I just can't afford it right now I got to wait for my GST to come in or I got to do this or I got to do that um, because that's out of pocket uh, and not everybody has the insurance to cover that not everybody has uh, access to government programs to do to deal with that and as we age these things become more and more important and it is your um, independence we'll say uh, so those are just some of the things that, um, you know, are up for public discussion. And as I say, just because I'm raising the issue or just because other people have raised it on open line doesn't mean that we're stuck to those particular topics. I'd like to hear what you have to say today. Very quiet. We're watching uh, Hurricane Lee and we're going to get an update today from the Canadian Hurricane Centre on that storm. Looks like it's pushing now more towards Maine, Nova Scotia. The track is becoming a little clearer to forecasters. Um, so the impacts here, uh, not as great as, say, Fiona, the anniversary of which is coming up, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, very soon, uh, which was a devastating storm. And the people in uh, on the southwest coast in particular still 
dealing with the impacts of that and the damage caused by that particular storm. In this case, it was the storm surge that caused so much problems. Um, so we're watching that storm very carefully to see what impacts, if any, it's going to have on this province. It's going to weaken considerably by the time it gets to the Maritimes, and then it's going to veer off to the east again, and uh, it looks like the track is going to take it up through the Gulf of St. Lawrence and almost directly through the Strait of Belle Isle. Uh, so you know that there's impacts on either side of that storm. Now, what kind of a... Uh, strength it's going to have uh, remains to be seen. It's going to, at that point, it's going to be a sort of a post-tropical storm, so it may be more of a just a, a, a bit of a heavy rain and uh, gusty winds kind of event. Uh, but uh, we'll get a better picture of that now today when we hear from the uh, Canadian Hurricane Center a little later on today. And VOCM News will have all the latest on that. In the meantime, I see uh, Dave is busy trying to line up a few calls. What we'll do right now is going to take a short break. Uh, and when we come back, we hope to speak with you. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. The, the Rocky Horror Show uh, being put off by Tada Events. This is the same, I wonder, as the Rocky Horror Picture Show where, you know, the audience responds and reacts to things throughout the course of the show. Uh, that would be a great time, don't you think? Uh, such a, a fun immersive, if you will, uh, uh, performance type of thing. Anyway, um, uh, we have some good news to share. Uh, a Mount Pearl company, um, Garage, contacted uh, VOCM Open Line off the air and has been put in contact with the woman who had her car, the four tires slashed, and they're going to offer her four free tires free of charge. Isn't that wonderful? So there are good people out there. When we talk about these terrible things happening, you know, uh, that's not the dominant thing. The dominant uh, part of the conversation is, in the end, we're all still Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. We all take care of each other, and uh, that's some wonderful, wonderful news. We're so happy to hear that today. We're going to go now to opposition leader David Brazel. Hello, David. Good morning, Linda. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, well, no problem. Listen, since you and I spoke yesterday about this uh, hydrogen pipeline thing, a little more <laughs> information has come forward, this time from our good friend next door, Francois Legault. Yes, no, no, no doubt there's some challenges there. But before we get into that, I just want to uh, pass on my thoughts and prayers to the family and friends of the uh, the Fisher pe people in the Fleur de Lis and the community there and the devastation and that tragedy has on all Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Oh, for certain. I, I just, uh, it resonates with all of us, doesn't it? 100%. And somebody who comes from an island has seen tragedies right around, you know, our coastal areas and know what it, impact it has. I mean, the ocean gives so much, but at times it can take so much away. So, uh, you know, heartfelt uh, thoughts and condolences to the families and friends of uh, those individuals involved. But I, I do want to talk about, uh, you know, the, the discussion from yesterday about the uh, hydrogen pipeline and the impact it would have on Newfoundland and Labrador. But particularly the issue that I still have with it is there's negotiations going on, there's information being shared with everybody else in the world than the people who are directly impacted by and the people who own the resource. 
the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. You know, I, I read and I said yesterday, there's discussions in Rotterdam about a uh, hydrogen pipeline, but yet the people in Roddington on the Northern Peninsula knows nothing about it. The people who may be directly affected uh, of what's happening. People in Labrador. The, uh, the Innu nation weren't aware of it. The, the taxpayers of Newfoundland and Labrador don't know anything about it. And the fact that it's not part of our energy plan here. So, again, we've been saying this for a number of years, and I've been asking the Premier to be open and transparent uh, with the people of the province. It's their assets. They should be the people who uh, are, are the key beneficiaries of any asset here and should have input in how it gets uh, developed as part of this process. When I saw the picture this morning with the uh, Premier of Quebec, smiling uh, with his senior officials from Hydro-Quebec. And you know the history we've had with, with Hydro-Quebec. And I, I wanted to spell anything first and foremost. I feel Newfoundland and Labrador should be open for business. No matter who it is, we're going to negotiate with. But at the end of the day, any deal that's struck and signed should be beneficial to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, and we should be the key stakeholders in uh, determining our future and owning our future assets. But when I see him smile and say there's negotiations going on about Gull Island, there are negotiations around the 2041 and Upper Churchill and what that means, uh, and that there's other things that are potentially being negotiated here. And we hear in the response from the Premier and the uh, Liberals in Newfoundland and Labrador is, oh, we can't make any comment. You know, that's not fair to the people of this province. And I get, you know, I understand, I've been a minister, I've been involved uh, as a bureaucrat for years and been in business, that some things are sensitive. But if the people who own the asset are not engaged or not aware that something's happening, how can they have confidence that the agreement at the end of the day is going to be a beneficiary, uh, benefactors that, that re results in them actually gaining from it, and that we have a, a bright, prosperous future in Newfoundland and Labrador. So the fact that entities that, you know, we've got a history here where we haven't had extremely good uh, contracts signed over the years with other uh, jurisdictions in Newfoundland uh, in Canada, uh, to the detriment of Newfoundland and Labrador, I would hope and think that you'd be open and transparent to ensure that people have faith that we're going to get something done uh, in this uh, province. And I go back again, you know, it's all connected here about transparency and openness, uh, about the potential hydrogen pipeline. You know, it's, it's potentially coming down places like Bombay and Plum Point right through the Premier's district and no discussion or acknowledgement. And if it's not going to happen, uh, that's fine. Let the people know so we can dispel this. But if you've commissioned a report that one of the recommendations is about that, and there's discussions happening somewhere in the world, but not with the right people in Newfoundland and Labrador, then I have a concern, and so should the people of this province, about what's, uh, what's directly happening uh, here and what impact it will have on us financially and environmentally. And that's well, you know, it's, it's a key issue here that I have. It's one thing to, you know, sort of mention these things on a very high level at an, at an energy conference in, uh, in the EU uh, as, you know, you know, possibilities or whatever the case may be. It's another thing, I understand, uh, for, you know, actual documents to be, you know, surrounding this kind of thing. Is that not the crux of that independent um, uh, report? 100%. So, I mean, what's not fair here or not equitable, somebody has con has uh, copies of that report, which means that could put us at a disadvantage if they know what's being recommended or what are some of the uh, challenges as part of it or what are some of the things that 
you know, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador have said that they'd be willing to give up. I mean, that's not how you negotiate. I mean, at the end of the day, and people in Newfoundland and Labrador should know at least what the general conversation is so they can voice their opinion, you know, yay or nay, or let's ask to be, be better informed on exactly how this would benefit the people of this province and how we can still be good stewards of the environment while at the same time ensuring that we have the services that need to be provided to our own citizens. And the people of the Port of Port Peninsula in particular right now feeling very uh, uneasy, uh, or, or at least some of them are, uh, we're, uh, the ones that we're hearing from, feeling very uneasy about the pace of uh, development in that particular area when it comes to hydrogen development. Uh, do you think some of their um, discomfort or suspicions are, are warranted? Well, what I will say is that uh, this report that came out now about the pipeline, uh, the mapping actually distinctly shows that the pipeline would go directly down to the port-to-port projects that's happening there. So is there other other negotiations going on? What other impact would that have on that particular project? So is it, again, is there something being fast-tracked for a particular reason? Uh, Is there something else that's going to be impacted there as part of that? Like, I'm not saying we're yay or nay against uh, a, a pipeline that could be beneficial to the people of the province, but until information is put out there, what's being proposed, the facts of the situation, and the key stakeholders, and the key stakeholders here are those who live in those immediate areas, the people in Newfoundland and Labrador, and the experts here who could give us advice as to what uh, this would mean uh, for our environment, what it would mean, is this going to go through our national park, uh, what would it mean for employment, have you engaged the trade unions, the skill set uh, individuals here, have you in- engaged the indigenous communities as part of this process? So there's a number of unknowns here, and, and you know, I get uh, very uh, skeptical about what's being asked or what's being proposed when it's not open and transparent. And I get the fact there's certain, you know, delicate parts of the negotiations. That's separate from the fact that people should know exactly what's being proposed in a general context, and then they can decide based on that, and they can do their own additional research here to find out if this is going to be beneficial to anybody involved, other than uh, big companies or some other uh, province or jurisdiction other than Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, indeed, and we've seen it time and time and time again. A lack of information simply leads to speculation. And, uh, you know, so the more information, the better. Oh, 100%. And this, you know, it's it, it's continuing with this administration and it frustrates me because we've put out the olive branch, you know, dozens of times. We've done it in the House about, you know, conversations around, uh, you know, going in the House to change legislation to be beneficial to the people of the province. If there's resources that need to be around education or health care or whatever it may be. But again, and all we've ever asked, and we've heard this before, we didn't know much about what was happening with the cyber attack. Uh, We had to ask questions here. We had to sort of expose what was happening because the general public were asking, uh, you know, what's what's the situation here? We know very little on what's happening on the 2041 negotiations. We're hearing more and more from the Premier of Quebec as he's smiling and talking about what he's doing. And yet I don't see the um, delegation from Newfoundland and Labrador sitting in that same room in that photo op opportunity as part of that. So I get skeptical. Now, uh, am I a true optimist for Newfoundland and Labrador? Yes, because the people here have such the the skill set and and just a positive demeanor of doing things. But we're only going to succeed if the information is being shared with the people here who have the best input in solving the problems. And I've said that about healthcare and education. You want to solve our problems? Ask the people who are directly affected by it. They'll give you a, a proper uh, approach to uh, solving those issues. We're hoping to hear from the minister, uh, Andrew Parsons, in the next uh, short while. So hopefully we'll get some answers to that. David Brazel, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Not a problem. Can I just bring up one other point? Absolutely. Very quickly. I just got off the phone with the uh, Marystown uh, Shipyard Families Alliance. Uh, 
down there. And there's still concern, and we know the issue down there about health and abscess in the uh, shipyard over the years. Uh, but one of the things that they haven't heard back, in the health accord, it was noted that there would be an in- intake um, process put there in an intake uh, assessment process. None of that has happened. So I'm asking again the Minister of Health and the Premier, is there going to be an intake centre clinic so that people can be assessed from their health situation and to see what resources or what support should be available for them? So this committee's not going away. We're going to support them. And this is another answer about being open and transparent to solve the issues facing the people of this province. David Brazel, thank you. Take care, Linda. Alrighty. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. What? She's going back on the air and it's news time. Dave is some mad at me. I have to uh, go to a break now for news. This is my fault because I wasn't paying close attention. Uh, anyway, Dave's mad at me. So uh, we're going to go now to Brian Medour with the news, but we'll be back right after this. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. Uh, we're going to go now to Cass Drodge with Fridays for Future. Hello, Cass. Hi, Linda. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm feeling good. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, no trouble. So you've got a big rally coming up. Yes. Uh, tomorrow at the Memorial University Clock Tower um, at 1 to 3 p.m., um, we are marching from the Clock Tower to the Confederation Building. Um, and we will hope to see as many people as possible there um, because it's important for our province to be conscious of the environmental impacts of the oil industry. Um, But not only that, but we need to be able to work together to uh, be able to find more sustainable pathways and obviously, you know, diversify um, our economy, uh, of course. Oil industry Um, in particular or or other um, pollutants and and issues that are facing, uh, you know, the globe, we'll say. Yeah. um, So for us right now, um, we are looking specifically at the oil and gas industry. Um, It is a collective global movement. So we are aligning with that. And we are specifically focusing on the Bay du Nord project, which has been sanctioned by Equinor. And we are uh, calling for a full stop of that project. Um, And there are a few reasons for that. Uh, We're calling for a stop of the project because, of course, it will add to um, the global temperatures rising. um, And, of course, that affects our uh, glaciers and, of course, the cold current that runs down through uh, Labrador and down through the Grand Banks. Um, Also, there is a 16% chance that there could be a major oil spill um, in Beige Nord, which I'm not sure how many people know of this, but Beige Nord is actually only um, a few nautical miles off of the coast of our economic uh, zone there. Um, So where a lot of our, you know, cod populations, Cape Town populations um, reside and where a lot of our inshore and coastal fishers um, actually fish. Um, this bill could likely go into that area, um, which would be which would be detrimental. Um, and I think I'm putting this number out there right now because I think that number, 16%, is very important. And Equinor tries to downplay this. Um, How is that number a- derived? Um, it's derived through uh, an environmental impact assessment through Equinor's experts. Um, their experts say that there is a 0.0015 percent, uh, sorry, percent chance of spill, while DFO has actually said it's 16% through their own environmental impact assessment um, and through reviewing of Equinor's uh, assessment documents themselves. 
Um, they also stated that Equinor did not give them enough time to go through the documents, um, so they suspect that there are other, um, I guess, facets that they would like to question on the context of the liability, um, you know, in relation to their study. Um, so I, I, I assume that say, the risk is is because it's deep water. Is that correct? Yeah, because it's, it's deep water drilling. Yeah, because there, you know, a lot of it is um, heavy crude oil, um, and you know, regardless of how it's coming up out of the ocean, it still needs to be uh, transported, and uh, the emissions from the transport process um, are not necessarily being accounted for. Um, in these assessments, which is highly concerning. You know, we have a, you know, a billion dollar fishing industry here. Um, and I think, you know, it's one of our strongest industries. And to be able to allow a project like this that's, you know, based off of a farce of numbers, um, you know, that's basically being contested by our federal government, you know, let alone um, local subject matter experts here, it's kind of a no brainer that it, it, it shouldn't go ahead. Um, but that to say, I know that, you know, our province does depend highly on, on oil and gas, and we have a lot of workers here who have a lot of oil and gas-related skill sets. Um, so, you know, with saying that, I, I would like Equinor to, of course, stop Bay de Nord, but also to be able to invest in our workers here and to invest in the transfer of skill sets to be able to provide work for our oil and gas workers that are outside of the oil industry into, into more um, sustainable industries, whether that's tech, whether that's small-scale um, uh, resource uh, projects. Like, for example, there's um, a couple of projects going on in Nova Scotia and in Ontario um, where basically they have, like, one wind turbine. It's 50-50 uh, owned by the municipality and uh, through, you know, uh, business stakeholders. And basically the reciprocity um, that comes through that is, is obviously um, financial. And so, um, you know, you, you see the direct benefits of uh, an industry as opposed to, you know, kind of... I guess not having direct uh, sovereignty or ownership over a project uh, like you see with with Beidou Nord. So how do you square um, the desire to shut down or um, you know halt Beidou Nord with the fact that the world still needs needs oil and uh, the argument that has been used that if we don't develop the oil here in this country, which is uh, highly regulated and arguably, uh, according to the argument, uh, cleaner than uh, the oil developed in other jurisdictions, uh, that other countries will fill that void, which may not meet the same type of standards. Absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, it, the, the, the common argument is, you know, if we don't, someone else will, of course, you know. And, um, you know, with saying that, I, I believe that there are subject matter experts here in the province who have said um, that the oil that is being produced off the, off the shore here or that will be produced is actually not any greener or any better than um, in the past um, or that what we've had produced in the past. And, um, you know, I, I think... We're calling for the stop of Bay de Nord specifically. Um, we do, of course, wish for, you know, the eventual uh, transgression or kind of like running down of, of other oil and gas projects. So we are very well aware that, you know, the oil, oil and gas industry is very, um, you know, it, it has a niche. Um, but it's not to say that um, it's dwindling down. Um, and, you know, uh, by 2030, a lot of experts have said, you know, that the price of a barrel of oil is going to basically be cut in half from $75 to 35 um, and so, yes, you know, we could be pumping oil, but at what cost? And, you know, with regards to the risk versus benefit 
uh, paradigm, you know, how much are we actually going to risk for a very small payout and a project life that might be, what, like five, ten years? And what about the overall global pace of change? Yeah, I mean, I think most most folks, especially in Norway, um, you know, they're they're downscaling and they're actually calling for um, the complete elimination of oil projects. Um, I think a lot of us here now, especially um, the youth, uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of talent. We have a lot of, and you know, it's not only the youth, but we have you know uh, folks who are. Um, you know, in their in their elder years, who who have ideas to be able to provide uh, means of energy or means of of uh, you know, uh, providing resources to be able to make um, I guess you know the world go round or whatever you know oil is is used for I guess in the sense of um, you know use value. Um, there's ways to get around it. I just think that there hasn't been enough opportunity for folks to explore that. Um, and I think that's why now we're kind of seeing this dichotomous message, like, okay, if we don't do this, someone else will. But then there's this, like, kind of gleaming hope, like, but what if? You know, and, you know, I think Glasgow is a very good example of that. Um, they have a couple of, Equinor actually has a couple of uh, wind farms over there already. And it seems to be doing quite well. Um, the carbon footprints are lower than uh, previous years before they were installed. And um, most folks are, are genuinely happy. So you, know, you, you see Equinor um, kind of shifting um, their, their industry a little bit. And um, you kind of you see it working out. Castraj, I do appreciate your time. So that uh, rally at the clock tower starting at Mun, um, the Mun clock tower, sorry, uh, 1 to 3 p.m., uh, winding its way to Confederation Building. Yes, thank you so much, Linda, for your time today. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, we're going to hear a story about a a recent uh, car break-in in in the city's downtown. Uh, When we come back right after this. And we're back. We're going to go now to uh, Tara Lee on line three. Hello, Tara Lee. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you know. You know. God's work work or pop's work or whatever you want to call it, but trying to track it. <laughs> right on. So uh, I understand because you sent a note to our newsroom uh, uh, indicating that you were one of a number of people that recently had your car broken into. What happened? Um, well, actually, I had just finished a business meeting and uh, popped into the Duke of Dockworth, of course, for the best fish and chips in town. And within that 25 minutes, my car had been uh, broken into with my work bag stolen. Of course, that meant uh, my computer and my iPad and all the things that you should not leave in your car. Heads up, don't leave anything in your car. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I know it's tangible and I know that nobody got hurt, let's say, but, um, it's still, it's still feel, you feel violated and definitely lost a lot of work that I've been doing. So, um, I'm in the process of trying to track things down. Absolutely. A terrible feeling of violation. Any luck in, in tracking these things down? Yes. So, of course, uh, with Apple products, you can uh, turn on your Find My or your GPS tracker on them and set a note. A lot of people don't know you can put a note in there. So when somebody charged it, uh, they charged my iPad this morning, actually, um, and they got the note that said cash reward with my phone number. And so that person called me um, and I met them at the Tim Hortons um, and I paid $150 and got my iPad back. What? You had to pay to get your iPad back? Yes, well, you know, Mrs. Um, claims that uh, 
you know, she was buying an iPad for her daughter and had no idea kind of thing, um, so, but she was out 150 So I paid 150 because obviously I want my iPad back, but, um, you know, I also know that if somebody turns on my MacBook as well, if there is a reward, then they're more likely going to call because ultimately they just want the money most of the times, and it's the same case for this individual, um, that they just want their next fix, oh, right? wow. So they just want cash. So, but that's okay. Um, A bit of a super sleuth. So it's all over social media. um, And I have people trying to figure out where things are. So um, it's a process, but I I will get my things back. (laughs) So, uh, you know, what kind of a, I mean, obviously you're out a couple, you know, a hundred or so dollars, but uh, what kind of an inconvenience was this to you? Obviously you're a professional person. Those things mean something to you. It's not just the, it's not just the, the machine itself. It's what's in there. It's what's in there. And, of course, uh, I'm actually a local film producer here in town. Um, And so I do a lot of Hallmark movies and uh, movies of the week and everything. So all of my work is on there, including the development that we've been doing over the last uh, four months while the writer's strike has been going on. So the so the amount of work that's on there and not yet shared with anybody, because, of course, I don't share until it's ready to go. Um, that's what's lost. And so that's a, it's not just an impact to me, but it's an impact to my crew who then won't have work if I can't get this project up and off the ground because I don't have my data. Right. So you're here doing this work now. Has this poisoned you in any way, if you know what I'm saying? Well, I moved to St. John's in 2021 because I fell in love with St. John's 20 years ago. It, it stole my heart. And I knew I wanted to live here. So I moved here right after the pandemic, when the Atlantic bubble burst. I was on that first ferry. And I moved here intentionally because I love it so much here. I think the people here are really great. But the, the epidemic of drugs is uh, from the last 20 years of watching St. John's, it's, um, it's incredible sort of the downslide that we're watching. And so um, it hasn't soured me, but since I've lived here, since uh, August of 2021, my home has been broken into twice, my office has been broken into, and my car twice, and I've been mugged. So um, all I can say is learn self-defense. Don't leave things in your car. Don't let it sour you because, you know, it's a mental health crisis and it's a drug crisis that's sort of stimulating these other problems of petty theft, et cetera. So until we focus on the, the, the root cause of addiction and mental health, then we're not going to solve the issues of petty theft. Uh, where did you come here from, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. I moved here actually from Ottawa, but I'm originally from British Columbia, but mostly raised in northern Ontario, so I love the weather. So, uh, yeah, all, you've been all over Canada, obviously, and, and uh, of course, have, yeah. the, the, the social uh, situation that we're facing here in Newfoundland and Labrador now is, is no different, I understand, than any other major centre in Canada. No, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's an epidemic right across, I would say, North America even. But I think here it's just so much more visible because it is a smaller community. Um, you get to know people quite well, even our people who are without home or that are going through these problems. Um, I know a lot of our uh, fellow community members by name, even if they are struggling or not. And I try to help where I can, even if it's a sandwich here and there. And I know just a little over a month ago, unfortunately, a young man named Ben passed away due to an overdose and I knew him quite well and saw the days where he was sober and proud of himself and so um, it just really really breaks your heart when you're so close to your community and there's less population so you see it more it's more in your face yeah it really um, is yeah yeah in Toronto there's just so many people that you're not going to notice if one goes missing 
In Ottawa, the same thing. You don't notice if one goes missing. And the communities where people are addicted, they're more isolated as opposed to St. John's where it's more integrated. So you see it more. So that's why I think everybody thinks it's worse here than it is anywhere else. But that's not true. It's the same right across North America. But um, it just needs to be a real shift, I think, in our social dichotomy to actually care for people more and, and know that people are hurting and try and get them help. Well, Tara, uh, Tara Lee, I really appreciate your call this morning. Um, sorry that this has happened to you so many times. Um, but, I mean, you have a, you know, a remarkable outlook on all of this. Uh, I really appreciate your time this morning. Well, thank you. And I just want to send a friendly reminder, people with Apple products, make sure you have your Find My turned on and don't leave stuff in your car. That was my mistake. Don't leave stuff in your car. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing, you know, the, the technology, what the technology is able to do. Uh, it's able oh, to yeah. help you in all these ways. Yeah. Yeah. And one more quick note. When I was speaking to the sheriff down at the courthouse yesterday, dumpster diving, trying to find my stuff, um, I spoke to a sheriff and he said now that the people who are actually breaking into cars actually have uh, program, fobs that can um, override your keyless entry on your doors. So, um, so they're very, uh, they're getting a little savvy now. So it, that includes your garage doors and home doors that have fob access, that there's override fobs out there. So just make sure we're using deadbolts, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. Uh, really good advice there, uh, Tara Lee. On a different note, though, I'm going to take this advantage now. You say you're here working on sure. these uh, Hallmark. Um, what, what's made Newfoundland or St. John's in particular so attractive to Hallmark <laughs> and, and romance? Well, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous here. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth and definitely my favorite place to be. Um, I've worked in the film industry for 20 years, and so I'm very fortunate to um, have partnerships that allow me to bring uh, new business here. Uh, we actually produced nine movies last year, so um, we're hoping to do the same as soon as this strike is over again, but we're just really trying to help develop and grow the industry. There's already strong producers here that, you know, do Hudson and Rex and um, uh, Surreal Estate or of a critch and uh, amazing amazing people doing good work here so i'm just hoping that i can um you know not, not necessarily follow in their footsteps because i'm a different genre but also just mirror the good work that they're doing here and creating jobs and growing an industry that can support the city have you seen an increase in work because of the strike uh, no, we've seen a decrease in work because of the strike, unfortunately, uh, with most for our company anyway, because we uh, most of our scripts are, are American based. And so that we're affected by the WGA strike there. But I mean, Hudson and Rex and Son of a Critch, very good Canadian strong based films. They're, of course, going ahead. And, um, you know, the, the, the negotiations continue so that we can um, hopefully develop a little bit more stronger of a Canadian content market here when it comes to movies of the week, et cetera. Tara Lee Gerhard, uh, I really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. No, thank you so much. And uh, thanks for bringing awareness to it. That's all we can do is keep talking. Absolutely. Well, the more we talk, we more the better we understand. Thank you. Cheers. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye Tara Lee Gerhard's uh, local, uh, involved in the local film industry, um, recently had some items stolen from her vehicle um, and managed to get one back using Find My. Very fascinating indeed. I had to pay for it, though. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. Am I overdue for a break now? Uh, David, help me out. No? Oh, I'm going to go to the news, but we got a couple of minutes yet. Uh, yeah, so that's fascinating. Um, unfortunately, you know, she had to pay to get that uh, laptop back. Well, but as she said, that's is you know ultimately what people are looking for. 
they're looking for the money and the woman that she paid for the laptop claimed that she had bought one presumably already stolen uh, and paid so much for it and she was out the money uh, but um, interesting uh, that these are the kinds of things that are happening so she says you know lesson learned don't leave things in your vehicle for quick and easy access uh, if you will and it's really um, shocking to see how dramatically um Newfoundland and Labrador and, and St. John's uh, metro region has changed in the last couple of years uh, on, a, on a social level. Um, really dramatic. And a part of this, this epidemic, it's right across North America related to drugs and uh, mental health. How does it get um, resolved? How do you help people? How do you um, live in um, this new reality? That, those are some of the big questions being asked and and what um, various groups in and around the capital city and across the province are dealing with now and uh, government as a whole is uh, trying to address and deal with. But uh, uh, ter- um, uh, Tara Lee um, with a unique perspective having come here about 20 years ago having fallen in love with the place and seeing how much things have changed in that little while hasn't changed her mind though she still loves it here uh, Dave are we going to go to that call before the break or shall we wait till after the news yes we'll wait till after the news because that's not going to give them enough time to uh, to air their thoughts uh, so we're going to news now with Brian Medora when we come back we will speak to the caller waiting on the line we hope to speak to you Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And we're back. We're going to go now to the Minister of Industry, Energy, and Technology, Andrew Parsons. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you? I'm good. A few things on the go. Yeah, apparently. Apparently there's lots of chatter going on and hopefully I can help to uh, clarify or in some cases shut down some of the uh, <laughs> some of it because it's uh, very far from uh, what I would consider uh, reliable. Absolutely. Well, let's start now with uh, Premier Francois Legault uh, getting everybody all hot and bothered with his uh, tweet um, meeting with uh, Hydro-Quebec to speak with uh, them about um, various projects, including uh, the enhancement of the Churchill Falls project and the construction of Gull Island. What's happening there? So what I can tell people is a couple things. I mean, just because the premier over there with a couple of his officials has a picture and puts it up there, I think maybe it generated uh, the reaction perhaps that he intended. But, I mean, over here, nothing has changed. Uh, We continue to talk to Hydro-Quebec. The premier continues to have uh, meetings with Premier Legault. Uh, In fact, we both have, both provinces have teams working on this. But that's it. I mean, certainly there won't be any negotiation in public. Uh, we're not going to be playing cards with Quebec with our cards showing. Uh, not going to do that. Uh, but the other thing, too, people need to recognize that issue, whether it's Gaul uh, tied in with uh, Upper Churchill 2041. I mean, that's one of the biggest issues in our province over the last 50 years, maybe longer than that. I can guarantee you that nothing is going to be done without it being public, without it being scrutinized and discussed. That is the reality. 
Why the Premier Quebec decided to take a snap, I don't know. But it doesn't change how we're approaching it. We see ourselves in a very strong position. We see ourselves as knowing that we have a lot of opportunity. And at the end of the day, everybody wants the best deal for the province. And I can guarantee you it ain't going to be done, uh, you know, without people having a chance. But nor are we going to sit there and discuss the parameters on open line. Well, I mean, so the, my next question, I guess, is moot. But, you know, is there anything we can say about, you know, uh, development of Gull Island or any of the plans moving forward? Because we've been what? talking about it for decades. Absolutely. I, I mean, a couple of things I can say on Gull Island. I mean, I think we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the possibility. It's a huge asset. But same way as I've told companies who reached out to us, if you haven't had a conversation with Indigenous leadership, uh, you need to take that angle first. Nothing is going to happen in Labrador without partnerships. Absolutely nothing. So to think that we're going to be able to do something, I don't think for a second, Gall Island will be developed without Indigenous partnership, consultation, leadership, you name it. So, but at the same time, you'd be remiss not to mention that you have this huge, huge world-class uh, asset that if done properly, if that, if that was the possibility, if it was done properly and everybody benefited, including Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, uh, indigenous governments in the country, well, you got to have that conversation. But it ain't going to happen just by any government of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's in Labrador. It's going to require discussions with indigenous leaders. That's full stop, period. So uh, what's this, just a little bit of politicking on his part? You know, a little bit of promotion well, on his ha- behalf? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I get a, you know, I, I get a call saying, oh, well, the, the leader of the opposition's on and, and the member from Labrador at NDP is on. Like, the guy's got my phone number. Like, seriously, give me a shout. I mean, where are the days gone where you couldn't have a conversation between elected members? Not that I have any problem coming on. But the reality is that it's not all cloak and dagger, all secretive and covert and, and nefarious as they want to make it out. That's politics. The reality is far different. The positive news that I think, the thing that I'm positive about is that we in Newfoundland and Labrador have huge resources that can benefit us and benefit the rest of Canada and beyond. We have to consider if and how they can be developed, and we have to recognize that it's not just us to do it. It it, it has to benefit the province and the people and into the future, and there it is. I mean, that's how I sort of see things. Well, it's a good segue into uh, the next uh, question, and that's related to something that David Brazel um, twigged onto with this article in The Independent suggesting that uh, some kind of discussion might be underway regarding hydrogen pipeline. Walk us through that. What's going on there? So I think what they're talking about, and again, this is all brand new to me. I've literally never in my life, I can say this until this exact moment, uttered the words hydrogen pipeline. It hasn't been a conversation here in Newfoundland and Labrador. But I think what it stems from is when we have gone to uh, Europe and when we go anywhere, like our job is to sell Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, People, we're not as well known as people think we're in a global competition. So we're trying to educate world leaders, you know, producers, proponents, anybody that, here's what Newfoundland and Labrador is all about. So we actually did like a, and I can't say we, it was done by others, um, there's like a little pamphlet down saying who we are, what there is in Newfoundland and Labrador, basically talking about, you know, what our province looks like, what are the different things we have, what are the different energy sources we have. And one part of that was a little blurb saying there's the potential 
of a green energy transport option, which includes a pipeline. And it says that's a possibility. I think that came from a consultant. So all I can say to that is I've literally never had the conversation and nothing will be developed. No pipeline will ever go on the ground in Labrador without an indigenous government saying that they want to be a part of it. Again, full stop. Not even the conversation I've had, not even one I'm going to have. We haven't even been discussing hydrogen in Labrador at this point. Again, because before we went to a crown land bid, we needed to have indigenous consultation. And in fact, what they forgot here again in the, in the I guess in the attempt to try to make it out like there's you know these high level secret meetings going on, it actually says there on the thing, the government is committing to develop projects that consider the rights and perspectives of indigenous governments and organizations and it believes in early and meaningful engagement. Well it says right there. So again to talk about some secret pipeline that people are building or talking about look, it's a bit beyond it's about talking about what's possible, but there's a big difference between something that is possible and something that is feasible and something that is even being considered at this time. Uh, so uh, tomorrow we have this rally uh, from the clock tower at Memorial University to Confederation Building um, um, put together by Fridays for Future. And uh, they are calling on the uh, cancellation of the Bay du Nord project. Uh, what's, uh, what's your message, I suppose, in, in regards to some of the concerns surrounding oil development here in Newfoundland and Labrador? Well, it's hard because to me it's not an either-or proposition. People make it sound like you're either for it or against it, uh, and you can't have any sort of mixed opinion. That seems like that theory is applying everywhere in life these days. It's either all in on one side or the other. What I would say is this, is that Beta Nord, if developed, would be world-class in terms of less emissions than any other oil source. Number two, we are still going to need oil for decades to come yet. Even Stephen Gabal up in Ottawa will acknowledge that. We won't need as much. There is a transition, but we're going to need it. So why wouldn't we have ours rather than new oil sources in South America or Africa or any other continent? We have every reason to consider doing ours. The third part, I would say, is that right now, a lot of the things that we get in Newfoundland and Labrador, like top quality education and healthcare that we are actually like putting huge expenditures in to try to recover from the challenges we face, a lot of this is funded by what goes on in our offshore. Creates a lot of royalties, creates a lot of jobs. So we need to find a way to, to, to deal with that. And that's why we are moving forward with renewables such as hydro. We're talking about hydrogen. We're talking about wind. We're actually having that conversation. Uh, but I don't think it's the flick of a switch. Now, saying all that, which is a mouthful, do I think that we ignore climate change? Hell no. I mean, we are dealing with something going on there. We're trying to be more responsible, which is why at the same time, we're trying to decarbonize in every way we can. Uh, and we're doing lots to promote that. Lots of, it, we're putting lots into that. So it's one of those either or. But I support people having a, a rally on that. In fact, I think we need to continue to do what we can to raise awareness more than we ever have. And finally, uh, I mean, the anniversary of Fiona is hard to imagine now. It's fast approaching. Um, uh, how are things in the town and, and surrounding area in your district now in, in the wake of that uh, devastating You story? know what? It's, it's still, I think, just as present as it was a year ago. Uh, I'd like to think that people have recovered. I mean, the concern the first month, the two months of everything last year was, you know, what are we going to do? And and I, I like to think that the province, the government, uh, we came in and we've been extremely supportive, not as fast 
as, as some people want, but the vast majority of people that actually lost their homes have been compensated and taken care of. But I think as we lead up to that day and that anniversary, I think there's going to be a continued um, I, I, I think it's going to be a tough day for a lot of people just thinking about it. It's still a lot of trauma that exists in the community. Just people's mindsets have changed about what it means to live on the sea, and uh, that's not going to go away anytime soon. You, you mentioned trauma. It's certainly when we're, we start talking about these other hurricanes that are churning away and, and potentially heading in the general direction of Newfoundland and Labrador, it's got to bring all of that back. Yeah, I mean, look, even myself, who, you know, I wasn't directly affected in terms of losing my home. Um, I feel it. I'm keeping a closer eye than perhaps I ever did on these weather advisories and what's going, you know, hurricane season. So you can only imagine those that lost a home or lost a loved one or have suffered directly. Uh, it's even worse for them. So, look, there's a lot of anxiety and, and still continued trauma. But again, We've tried to ensure that there's a ton of resources out there for people to talk to, uh, to help with these challenges. And we've had people on the ground. So people need to recognize that, look, if you're really feeling it, we've got people that will help you and we'll talk to you. And, and we're trying to provide all those mental health supports we can. Minister Parsons, I do appreciate your time uh, for weighing in on uh, all these topics that everybody is talking about. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Linda. But before I go, I'd be remiss if I didn't send my condolences out to everybody in Fleur de Lis uh, with the loss that's gone on out there. It's, uh, it's horrible to think of, and I know there's still people wondering. There's still recovery going on, so I just wanted to put that out there. We're all thinking of the community. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And uh, we'll be back right after this. And we're back into the last few minutes of the show. Uh, Daryl and Gander. Hello, Daryl. Oh, uh, hello, uh, Linda. How are you doing today? Oh, good. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks. Uh, uh, I was just going to rebuttal. You had Andrew uh, Parsons on there. And uh, uh, I I agree with everything he's saying, but we got to look at uh, oil coop he uh, produced now with 3% and less carbon emissions now and as a matter of fact we're sitting on natural gas up in Labrador which could be zero percent carbon emissions so I'm hearing it could be a protest tomorrow like shut down Bay Diverd and all that stuff but we got to look at that those uh, oil could be produced very low emissions so uh, you can't just uh, regard oil and just focus on all other things as well we got to be diversified right so uh, that that's not the reason why you called no no it's not the reason I'm calling about uh, your uh, about Air Canada and what they've done recently. Uh, they're going to be closing uh, Goose Bay, severely reduce uh, Gander to seasonal, and reducing uh, Deer Lake. And I think uh, Provincial Airlines is going to be taking over the 1st of uh, November. I'm not sure how the routes are going to go. But uh, this is uh, like another blow, not to our economy, but accessibility. And uh, and uh, we, if anything now, we need more accessibility in and out of the province for tourism, uh, transportation, goods, services, whatever in general. So by this happening now, this uh, adds uh, insult to uh, insult to injury, I guess, and uh, it's not good. But when you look at the whole picture, the cause of all this is when uh, COVID-19 and when the federal government shut everything down. And ever since then, from what I could gather, uh, Air Canada, uh, a shortage of workers with uh, ground handling, pilots, and so forth. So uh, when the government shut everything down, this is what translated into what's happening uh, today. And, yeah, and, uh, and it's the same the, right across the, the country. 
Uh, not a, not just across country. I mean, around the world, airlines around the world yeah. struggling to to uh, I guess <clears throat> just operate. Yeah, no, exactly, and and that's why I want to make the whole point. Like, you hear some cases like Air Canada's closing, whatever, blah blah blah. But the 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 main reason is is because when the federal government shut everything that down due to COVID nineteen, and you and they couldn't get the workers back ever since, still not up to par. And so when you look at the cause of all of it, you you put the blame on the federal government because the federal government shut everything down. Now we're paying the price for everything. It's not only the airline industry. Every sector, when it comes to manufacturing and so forth, could be RV trailers, whatever. There's a shortage. Can't get enough people to do anything in general. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I made a visit to the dental office there recently, and I noticed, well, everything looks like everything else. The cost has gone up. But they said their costs have doubled just uh, trying to get supplies in. So and and first thing he said was when uh, they got shut down due to COVID nineteen, the prices has doubled since that. So so the problem is the shutdown caused all this chaos in every sector. It's drives interest rates up, uh, the cost of living, and it's all due to when they shut down the country and now try to get back to normal. Wow, we got a big job ahead of us. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, um, the, the shutdown of the country was as a result of, of the pandemic. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Is a ca- cause and effect there. Uh, but right. yeah, it all stems from from the from the pandemic as a whole and the measures well, that were taken to try and keep people safe. Yeah, but yeah, but the the thing is, uh, Linda, you look at now. We we still got these viruses on the go, and they're predicting another uh, outbreak. So you can't keep on shutting down the country. You've got to try to live within and work within. Yeah, but the, and, and, the and virus has maintenance. evolved since since those early days. If you recall, in the beginning, yes. it was it was deadly. They have evolved, but still, it uh, it by shutting down the country, it did more harm and good. Yes, the virus have evolved, and you are right, and it, it was deadly. And uh, and we have vaccines the, now. Uh, yeah, and and we got vaccines now, but still. The, the result of all the shutdown, this is what's triggered what's happening yeah. today. Yeah, and we're feeling so, it all over the world. And, and not only that, they're just getting vaccines made now, preparing for the next one, so they're still not up to scratch with that yet. So uh, they're, they're in preparation of it, but they're not fully... Uh, uh, fully on board with it yet. Uh, well, Health Canada just uh, just approved the latest Moderna vaccine. Right. Okay. So they just approved it, but what took them so long to get to the stage again? You almost got to wait for an outbreak before they come on board with something, you know. But uh, but point. Um, but my whole point here is today is because of the shutdown. This is what's causing all these problems here today, and it's due to the federal government shutting down the whole country at the time. And and you look at now, if you get any viruses or whatever now, uh, you got to try to live within and deal with it and be safe from whatever the case may be because you can't keep on shutting down the whole country every time you get a, a big outbreak. I no, mean, indeed. But, I mean, th- things you know, have changed so. dramatically. And in those early days, yeah. if you recall, I mean, uh, people had to be in isolation for two weeks, if you recall. I mean, there was all these different kinds of measures to prevent people from dying and f- to prevent, more, more importantly, to prevent hospitals from being becoming absolutely overwhelmed yes, with sick people. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They did do that, and they did two weeks and whatever because they didn't really know what was happening at the time. But how many people died because they had their surgeries canceled due to uh, cancer or other operations or waiting on a kidney transplant or whatever? A lot of people died because that they get that all got put on hold because of that. So it still didn't really balance out because it still affected people in other ways. Unfortunately, when you look at the whole picture. Daryl, we'll have and, to leave it there. We've got an, one more call that I want to get on before the end of the show. Yeah, okay, great. Again, thank you for having me on your show, and all the best to you and your listening audience and staff at VOCM. All right, thanks, Daryl. Thank Bye-bye. Bye. And we're going to go now to uh, Tony. You got the last word today, Tony. <clears throat> yes, I don't know if i got time or not, but uh, first of all, I want to just uh, touch on health care. The gentleman that phoned in about his daughter, I mean, enough heartbreaking to see that government don't even bother to acknowledge or return his calls. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I mentioned last week about how the nurse said I was mistaken about how he got 2.5% with the new contract, but it was only 2% plus to get $2,000 bonus every year. And they're expecting the nurses to stay here. And the same thing with doctors. I mean, yes, they can work anywhere in the province they want to work. But at the same time, if they don't get the, they don't get the raise that the government is offering if they don't work with the clinic. But my, my main reason now is uh, that uh, cause I, like, I like to have more time, but I don't. But anyway, my main, was Andrew Parsons on there talking about God Island and, and, and uh Upper Churchill Falls. I mean, Trudeau was on there way before he got in government, and he was saying that Quebec should be running the country. So now we got a puppet down here, Andrew Shea, or a Fury, that right now he's doing whatever they tell him to do. And you don't. And one thing you know, in over the years, since he got elected, you don't get an honest answer. And in fact, you don't get any answers most of the time. So, I mean, for them to say this, now, I, I think it is a deal there. Why would he come out? Why would Legault come out and say, like, Getting, uh, talking to Leighton Power and all this. I mean, this is our hydro. I mean, this is, I think, is almost a done deal. And for Andrew trying to get out there and say he's not negotiating in public, they're not going to negotiate in public. I mean, uh, the framers have been up there a number of times meeting with him, and he will not let anybody know what's going on. So, I mean, it's to me, it's uh, pretty much on a done deal or close to it and he, he's not going to come out and say anything because right now they're just trying to cover their tracks they don't they don't know why he'd come out right now and they're trying to they're trying to cover themselves because right because as you, i said you cannot get a, an answer from them in the house and the same thing with federally you can't get one thing you can guarantee and they don't tell the truth they always puts it off but i mean it's just that uh, they're just uh, they're puppets. That's all they are. I mean, Andrew got it, uh, and they're going to give away my, my Upper Church of Father. Uh, Upper Church of Father was hundreds of billions of dollars there with Upper Church of Falls and Gull Island. I mean, and they're going just going to let it go, and we'll be stuck once again with nothing, just getting a little bit of crumbs. And I mean, this is this is how liberals negotiate last one, and this is how they'll do it this time. Tony, you've had the last word. I really appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Tony there with the last word. Um, We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I'll be in for Patty Daly as well. I look forward to taking your calls then. Thanks for listening, everyone.